Welcome to the Great Data Minds podcast series. Today we're joined with my nephew, Tim Stutz. First time we've had family on the podcast. And I'm excited to have you, Tim. Welcome. Hi. How are you? Great. So what's about, what about this title? Data unicorn, sprinkles. What is that all about? Is that influenced by your two beautiful daughters? It's funny you mentioned uh, my oldest loves sprinkles on ice cream. And both of them are obsessed with unicorns. But actually, data sprinkles is a little bit different in terms of its reference, and I'll get into that shortly. Great. So, Tim, in your career, you've seen data being used in ways that many of our listeners will never experience. Take us back to the beginning of your data-inspired work and the commercial visual effects, data sprinkles, I think that's what you're referring to in the title, yeah. up to what you're doing now. Sure. So, earlier on in my career, I had an interesting uh, introduction with DataViz, doing visual effects for commercials. Um, I was working on an IBM Smarter Planet commercial where the producers requested that we use data in the commercial to advertise IBM's data products. And so what I did was create a number of visual effects using actual data, and some were more data-inspired, but you might imagine an overhead shot of a city where we see uh, lines and geometry kind of artfully weaving its way through the city grid kind of like an artistic interpretation of uh, an electrical grid. And so that's where the term data sprinkles came in. Some of my colleagues and I kind of use that term lovingly as a way of saying, okay, you know, this shot is inspired by data. Now, moving further in my career, it seems I had more and more practical applications with data up through what I'm doing now. Um, I currently work at Magic Leap as an interaction design lead, and I'm doing a lot more visualizations that are on the practical side. For instance, LEDs on our hardware to convey things like charge level and so forth. So yeah, I've had an interesting trajectory in data viz. Okay. So you were talking to me earlier about your visual programming language for data visualization and the work you did with that. Can you give us a little bit deeper dive on that? Yeah, certainly. So I have always been interested in programming, and I've often struggled with these concepts. And there are a number of ways to program. In a lot of tools, we see what are called WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get, style editors. And this is true for data viz tools where you're implementing a pie chart or pie graph, and um, you can see the results directly. There are other ways to get data visualizations through programming them in the raw or using something called a visual programming language. A visual programming language is a way of programming that involves connecting little boxes on the screen, quite literally. So you're, you have one box that might perform like some kind of multiplication connected to another box that renders a bar graph. And so Quadrogram, the company that I worked with in Barcelona, was building such a tool for data visualization. And so if you can imagine, a tool where you author data visualizations using this visual programming language. And the results were quite interesting. You're able to create a great variety of data visualizations because rather than using a traditional editor, you are kind of able to tinker beneath the hood. You know, you always, throughout your life, you've given me a call and said, Hey, Aunt Julie, I'm working on this really cool project. And I remember many years ago, you called me. You were telling me about the work you were doing around augmented reality at the Honda Research Institute. Can you fill us in on that? Sure. So this project involved augmented reality heads-up displays. And I'll explain this as follows. A heads-up display is a display that shows up often like projected in glass 
like so that you can see what's behind it. So fighter pilot could use such a display if they were in combat to see how, where their target was aligned. With the work I did at Honda, we were working on such a technology where the driver of a car would see content projected on the windshield that would align with things on the road. And so to pull that off, we have to be able to detect, first of all, where the driver's eyes are in relation to the windshield. We also put sensors around the car itself to detect moving objects and so forth. So imagine if off to the side, a deer runs into the street and it's late at night and you might not even notice. Well, the system would notify you and then actually put a little halo or highlight on the deer as it crosses the road. Uh, in another application we worked on, imagine you're on a highway and a car is braking very quickly in front of you. You need to know how much time you have to evade an accident. You might also need to know which directions are safe to go, left or right. You may not even have time to look behind your rear view to see if a car is coming up on your left or right. So we built visualizations that would tell you. And uh, those visualizations were projected right on top of the um, road, so to speak, so that you could see in context these problems coming. So is and as you think about the type of automobiles we have now and how they just take that direction on on its own, is this still a viable technology that we'll start to see more and more of? You know, that's a great question. Uh, and I think the answer is that, yes, in one sense, uh, this technology is actually getting rendered obsolete by self-driving car technology. On the other sense, some people will always want to drive cars or fly their own planes. And so for those people who choose to do that, this will be really helpful. And I think it'll also be interesting once there are a lot of self-driving cars on the road, this might change the way visualizations show up for people who actually choose to drive vehicles. There could be more data from those cars that are nearby, basically informing your car of how close a car was to you. So that, so there's a there's, that is a great question. And I think the answer is all of the above. Great. Making the road safer. God knows we need it. Okay. The one thing that I was always very impressed with was your um, the work that you did with gesturing at Oblong in Barcelona. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell the audience. I always think Mission Impossible, but um, you know, give us some feedback sure. or tell us what you did. But also, you know, where do you see gesturing being used these days? Right. Um, so that project, I, I think the reference you're looking for is Minority Report. And in oh, yeah. the film Minority Report, basically Tom Cruise's character has uh, an interface that he can interact with via hand gestures. And it helps him uh, kind of travel through time and solve crimes. And there were a lot of really cool shots in that film. Well, it turns out that technology was something that was envisioned by an MIT researcher named John Underkoffler. And after the movie came out, which was directed by Steven Spielberg, John went off to found Oblong, which is a company that continued to work on this gestural technology as one of its offerings. Around the time I joined them, I was tasked with creating a application that would work with the Connect sensor. And Connect was a sensor, still is a sensor available from Microsoft that allows you to track the skeleton of the body, um, to track hand gestures and so forth. And so this was um, around 2012. 
And so we were trying to create a demo that would respond to hand gestures and be fun and interesting for users to use. So I proceeded to design and develop a music sequencer application. So imagine you're standing in front of a a display and instead of interacting with the display via a mouse, you're raising your hands up and grabbing at samples that are on the timeline and the samples are played back as music. Um, You can also drag automation curves, so that can control like a filter sweep or audio volume over time. And you can bring new samples out into the timeline. So it became a tool for making looped-based music without ever having to touch a surface. Uh, Now, you asked about the newer applications for hand gesturing. Uh, I think we're starting to see a lot of interesting multimodal interactions show up where users are using voice commands combined with hand gesturing, for one. Uh, And this kind of multiple suite of gestures is yet another way to avoid touching any kind of electronic interface. It's hands-free, it's accessible, and it's also just just a, a great way of evolving our input technology. Tim, earlier in um, the podcast, you mentioned the fact that you work with IBM Marketing Group. They, they know how to market over there. But later on in your tenure with IBM, you were working on the Watson team and you were doing some pretty cool visualizations. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. And this is kind of an interesting turn of events in my career because I've gone from doing visual effects that were data-inspired, very marketing, wow, data sprinkles type things to more practical tools. And so this is a time when I'm also learning data visualization from a development standpoint and learning how to build those tools from the ground up as opposed to designing. And so at IBM Watson, a great part of my time there was spent visualizing news data so we had an API where every day there were 40,000 news articles coming in and it would scrape them and extract entities. So people, places, companies, organizations, and so forth, and draw connections between those entities. Not quite literally draw. That's where our job came in. So at the Cognitive Visualization Lab, we built a tool that would visualize all of this data. So if you can imagine doing a search, say, Donald Trump connected to environment, what the result would be is a network graph with Donald Trump as a person on one side and environment as a topic on the other. And you would see a web of connections between the two, which would be comprised of people, places, companies, and so forth, and the articles themselves. Uh, If you dig deeper and you want to click on a specific article, You can see the article off to the left-hand side of the visualization, read it. There's also a timeline of articles across the bottom as yet another way of interacting with it, and that's fully interactive too. And on the right-hand side, we had a map of all the places that were mentioned in these articles. So you'd see like a map of the world highlighting with countries and cities and so forth, also interactive. And then finally, a word cloud on the bottom right. So it's just a really interesting way of exploring data and uh, understanding the news, which is a mind-boggling thing sometimes. That That's some pretty cool technology, though. you got to admit it. Is that still available out there? Sure. Um, yeah, you can actually go to the URL news-explorer.com 
www.myblumix.net and you can try it out for yourself. But one of the things I'd like to mention too that's kind of interesting is around the time um, I left IBM, the whole fake news uh, thing had not emerged yet. And it's interesting to think about this now in the wake of that. So I think at this point, a tool like that needs to be really focused on scrutinizing the news that's coming in, scrutinizing the news sources that are coming in, making sure they're reliable. Otherwise, you're creating a graph of, of noise for, for the reader. So that's, that's, that's an interesting problem, I think, that probably still looms. Bravo, I agree. All right, last question for you. Finally, where do you see data visualization going in the future, in, in particular with the augmented reality work that you're doing? Sure. Um, so this is a really powerful technology. Uh, and so we've seen, uh, most people are familiar with ARKit, which is running on iPhones, um, Android Phones have a similar technology where you can point your phone camera at an object and or at a room space, and you can see 3D virtual objects floating around. There's been some really powerful applications of that technology. And there's also wearable technology like HoloLens and Magic Leap that has the capability of projecting virtual content in your physical environment as you're walking around. So that's augmented reality. And there are kind of two areas of data visualization that I think are really powerful. One is taking existing data visualizations like scatter plots and graphs and so forth and rendering those out in 3D. In the days before augmented reality, if you were rendering a scatter plot in 3D, so if you can imagine a scatter plot already being like a blotch of different dots signifying uh, data on two different axi. Imagine like a third axis there. So you basically just have a, a what would essentially look like a galaxy of points. When you see that on a flat screen or printed out on paper, it's very indiscernible. But in mixed reality, we'd be able to walk around the room and explore and probe that data from different different angles and ultimately gain more of an understanding of it. The other area of data visualization that's really exciting for augmented reality and comes a little bit closer to mixed reality, which is kind of inferring a, a relationship on this digital content directly with the physical content, is to the physical environment itself. So imagine you're out on the street and you have a device and you're walking around and you can see which properties are for sale on your block. And you see graphs of how much those properties cost. Imagine you're off in the woods on a nature hike and you put on a device and you can identify the species of the plants that you're discovering. So yeah, there's a labeling application on the real world that's really fascinating too. That is cool. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to experience some of that. And, you know, the first thought I had being a data person was, good Lord, there's a lot of data here. So, um, and I, I think that will continue to grow with uh, companies like Magic Leap and others doing great work in this area. Sure. Yeah, there's so much data. And I think that's an area that I'm interested in now too, is just the abundance of data. And so um, I'm very interested in data privacy and all the all the interesting problems that have arisen in the space. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing. We're hitting some of that stuff on the site too. So listen, okay, this has been great. It's been one of the most unusual podcasts that we've had. A lot of great information outside of, you know, standard data analytics topics that we have that are very important, but this kind of goes outside of that realm. And I really appreciate your time today. Um, it has been wonderful. And if you would like anyone out there in listener land would like to talk to Tim Stutz further about any of the work that he did, please reach out to us at info at Great Data Minds. Also take a look at some of the events we have coming up, some new chronicles we put out there. And I'd also like to thank Lord X for the use of his music for our podcast. Tim, do you know who this Lord X guy is? Hmm. I wonder. You should download some of his stuff. So <laughs> thanks again, Tim. And thank you everyone for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks, Julie.